And welcome to the 71st episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that has the 8-bit solution to all your MMO woes. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic singles and sealed product, with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out face-to-face card pricing via mtgprice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at mtgcritic on Twitter. My co-host is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at wizardbumpin, and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody. Uh, James and I are both happy to be here and looking forward to, uh, I think it's going to be a pretty great show. Our episode is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. All right, Travis, what's on deck tonight? Uh, Well, this week we have a show in four segments. Segment one is our top movers, the cards that have moved the most in price this week. Segment two is our cards to watch, where we're going to talk about cards that James and I think could see rises in price. Segment three is our metagame week in review. We'll be looking at GP Amsterdam and Omaha, both standard Grand Prix. And finally, segment four is our topic of the week, the Magic MMO that was announced, semi-announced earlier this week. So let's jump right in. Uh, Segment one, top movers. Our first card of the week is Predict from Odyssey. Start of the week at like four-ish dollars. It's up around seven right now. Uh... James wrote down Legacy Miracles 2.0 spec in in the show notes. I, I you know for, for lack of a better uh, reason, I it works for me. I suppose. Do yeah, I give our listeners some insight on that? There's, there's been chatter about a whole bunch of different cards that might be able to keep Legacy uh, uh, Miracles uh, in the top tier, if not tier one and tier one point five. Um, predict is one of those cards that people have been trying out um i have no idea uh whether it's actually good in the deck or not Uh, i'll leave that to the miracles pilots to write up but um i certainly had a few of those uh that card sitting around along with some of the other loose specs uh that are related and i think that if you can get out on some of that old stuff uh and into something with more uh, that is more likely to have a future plateau ahead of it, you're probably in better shape. Um, I don't like holding on to anything that spikes in legacy these days. Yeah, me neither. I want nothing to do with that format. Not that it's not fun and cool and interesting, but the, from a financial perspective, it's just so pointless slash dangerous. Well, I mean, I, I was listening to Cartel Aristocrats um, from the other night, uh, last night while I was doing some work. And I, I wanted to like jump through the microphone and talk to you guys about how <laughs> t- people are still like advancing this narrative about revised duels being a good place to park money. And I'm just, there's just, just no way that that's true. Like the growth on those cards has been extremely low since basically November, 2014. And uh, you're, so I, I, I mean, I completely agree with you that the growth has been lame. I just, in the interest of fairness, I believe their point was not that it was a, a good place to sock money away as an investment, but rather is they're easy to flip. Yeah, they were talking think, about retail turnover and liquidity, and and that's a fair right. point. But again, like the average listener of you know both casts is not a vendor, so right, and, and they're not operating under buy list margins to pad their results. So when we're talking about the average everyday Magic player that's listening to this information. Um, you know, I think it's good to put put out there that duels are not what they once were. <laughs> yeah, they are, in fact, and and I loved your advice about unlimited duels. Like, I think that if you're going to go the collector route, the black bordered stuff is so far out of range for most people now that you know people that are serious about collecting are going to reach for those uh, unlimited versions instead of the revised if they're looking to really like juice their collections. But if anything, I would be telling our listeners to. Um, trade into modern staples or hot specs that you're after from your duels and and try to get a premium out of it. If you can get 25 or 30% premium out of somebody to unload like $1,000 worth of duels to say get into $1,000 worth of Masterpiece Soul Rings last December, you can buy back in on better duels after the fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And for what it's worth, um, this week, I finally went through and pulled out half of 
my revised personal revised duels. I broke up my play sets and put um, half of them on TCG player because I'm just, I'm not using them at all. I kept two for various EDH decks, two of each. Um, and I was like, you know what? The maybe in 10 years, these are worth more today than they are now. I even, I'm not even sure that that's the case, but it could be true, but it doesn't matter because the money that I can turn these into is going to do more for me in those 10 years than these would ever um, appreciate anyways. Well, I mean, for GP New Jersey, uh, the big legacy event that was November 2014, where uh, all, a lot of the power uh, stuff, including Black Lotus, jumped kind of over the course of the weekend because the major vendors started consolidating. Um, that's kind of when Lotus hit five, which is where it's been kind of stalled since then. Um, an unlimited Lotus. Uh, you know, I was writing articles talking about how trading up into power and lots of other people were writing similar things about, you know, trade up into power and then it's going to have a, a nice appreciable return over time. And that's probably still true. But I think we're talking about the maximum five to 10% per year. So I'm actually considering a new series where I'm going to try to turn my unlimited Lotus into a, like a $10,000 beat beta Lotus. And the way I'm going to do it is trade the the, the unlimited Lotus out into uh, uh more recent specs that I think have strong appreciation in Europe, from Europe um, and then try to sell them all within six months and then buy back a better Lotus. Sure. And that's, I think that's a great way to do it. If that's ultimately your, your goal is to obtain like the better Lotus. I mean, then you're like, well, why buy the Lotus? Why not just keep flipping the stuff and then buy two Lotuses or a place out of whatever. And, but yeah, I agree. You know, that's a good way to make those and really this is so we are so far away from predict at this point um <laughs> that's a really good tool in general in magic finance especially if you're not trying to just make money but to sort of finance your hobby um is to sort of use the cards that you have and make intelligent buys and sells to just fund buying the other cards that you need um you know to, to make it so that you can buy a place out of a standard staple that you need that you didn't really want to pay real cash for like that's you know a very reachable goal for basically everyone listening and i think is a great application of the knowledge that we share here yeah, I think the core point for people to be thinking about in 2017 is if you're holding a bunch of really cool old stuff, you might want to think about, and you've got some your eyes on some really great specs, but you don't have the cash on hand to really go as deep as you want to. You might want to think about turning like a Mishra's workshop into like double that value inside six to 12 months and then buying back into something else you're interested in. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Okay. So let's, uh, let's move along. What's our next card here, James? All of that to get the card two. Uh, Dustwatch yeah. recor- recruiter foils moving from $5 to $10. We called this, um, the mo- movement was already on by the time we talked about it. And lo and behold, here we are at the other end of the spec with it already uh, at 10 and likely to push higher because Vizier Remedies is extremely real and modern and is con- going to be showing up all year long, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, completely agree. And I don't think it's done at 10 for what it's worth. Yeah, interesting. I I would never in a million years have had Dustwatch Recruiter on my radar for modern, um, but then I didn't realize we were going to get an infinite mana combo that needed an outlet to find its kill card. (laughs) Right. Yep, yep, yep. And I mean, that's so, oh God, we're doing this all over the place tonight. That's another piece of um, more uh, universal magic finance concept is that when you find a card that is very powerful, does something um, not traditionally available, even if it's not that useful today it doesn't mean that it won't be in the future um and now Dustwatch recruiter is not an exorbitantly powerful card and infinite mana is not a new concept but we have a card that's sort of useful kind of was seen a little bit of play in those types of strategies before suddenly this new cards get printed and it's like oh this ability is extremely valuable all of a sudden and those are things that like we you know you know you and i try and keep an eye out for when we're evaluating new cards like something like days undoing we're like i don't know what the application for this is but it's unique and it's extremely powerful and even though it's not broken today it doesn't mean it won't be next week yep fair what's next on the list uh ether sworn canonist uh both the shards i think it's shards whatever and modern masters copies the non-foils this week although we did talk about the foils last week about doubled from like 8 to 17 um you know again the same thing as last week uh sees play in several formats you know legacy and modern um it's mostly sideboards but it's good in the sideboards hasn't been printed since modern masters um, you know, and that was kind of a semi-limited release. So really just shards plus at this point. Um, so I think 17 is kind of high for Ether Sworn Canonists, especially with stuff like Eidolon of Rhetoric out there. Um, so I would be ditching these if you've got any floating around. 
Yeah, I agree with that. It's hard to reprint because it's Ethersworn, right? And that's specific to the Alara plane. Um, Correct. Yeah. But, yeah. but it could show up in Iconic Masters. Um, and if it, if not there, it could show up in some unknown set in 2018. So uh, I, d- I think you definitely ride this wave of interest in low supply and get out what you can. Agreed. What do you got for us? Sajiri Step from World Wake is a land that I think when it comes into play, it uh, allows you to give protection uh, of a chosen color to a creature till the end of turn. Uh, foils moved from 225 to 5 on the back of it showing up in a few more decks uh, online. Uh, there's lands builds that use it to protect their vampire hex mage so that they can uh, dodge a removal spell and go off with dark depths, right? Um, yes. I believe so. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen it in those lists for sure, and I'm assuming that's what they're doing it since they run barely any other creatures. It's got to be to protect the Hex Mage. Yeah, I mean, it's used in Modern, too. I mean, I haven't looked at the list lately, but I know, like, the Bant um, Retreat decks probably are running copies of this as well. You know, an Untapped Knight represents essentially a Mother of Runes trigger. Um, right, 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 right. Yeah. Knight of the Reliquary can pull it into play and, and protect something it needs to. Yeah, and I think it's that I think Worldwake's the only foil printing of this too. So honestly, I'm surprised it's as cheap as it is. Uh, there might be a little bit more growth left on that, then, depending on you know whether people uh, manage to whether buy lists update with this card and start pulling copies into the market. Yeah, the real problem there is that decks rarely run more than one, so it's sort of like uh, you know how expensive can it really manage to be. Um, also worth noting that it, it's another one of these cards that because it's plain specific in its naming, um, not easy to reprint anywhere. True, true. Not in a, a normal set. Uh, next up is Stronghold Gambit from Nemesis. We're looking at the foil copy specifically. It says from 22 to 50, although I'm looking at TCG player and seeing zero cop- zero near mint foil copies. Um, like Star City is out as well, so there just aren't any uh, on the market at this point. The market price on TCG is 12, which means that's about what the price of the last one sold for. Um, so I, I don't know what's going to happen with this, but people have been trying to make Stronghold Gambit work for a long time, uh, and it hasn't uh, really. Uh, and by now, you know, it didn't get there during the Legacy Rush, uh, which is long gone at this point. So eh, I'm not really really interested in this at this point i also don't think for what it's worth that it's even it's not even on the reserve list right no this is like a poor man's show and tell that only works if you're playing against a deck that doesn't have a cheaper creature than you're running to put into play right so um it's been tough to make it work because it's very meta dependent you know like what are the odds that the deck you're playing against is going to be in the position where this is good so it usually ends up in the sideboard uh of the legacy reanimator builds that run like sire of insanity chancellor of the annex gristlebrand tidespout tyrant and iona um alongside the usual cards like entomb reanimate uh and lately for collective brutality uh that card making its way all the way back into legacy hmm. um so there's going to be some like lingering demand profile for this through like the legacy reanimator players, but they're like a relatively small percentage of the meta, like certainly less than 5%. And legacy is, you know, a static format for, for the most part. Um, not a ton of people getting into new decks there um, on any given Sunday, but um, this is the kind of card that I, I has the, the power level that they don't want in modern. <laughs> so, it's probably not going to get reprinted anytime in standard. It's not the kind of staple they'd be looking to reprint there. It could show up in Eternal Masters 2 at some point, but that could be a 2018, 2019 thing. Um, and so, you know, it's relatively safe where it is. Uh, can it hold a plateau as high as is currently suggested by the TCG price? Probably not. Um, what was the last uh, sold price for it on there? Um, not that much. It was, again, it was $12. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you'd be lucky to get out of these anywhere in the 15 to $20 range. Um, and I happen to have one that I pulled out of the Super Collection that it, I, when I first went through the first three passes on that collection, um, I don't think I even remotely realized this was a card. So, uh, by the time it started popping up in price uh, pop list, and I think it's been through at least two or three plateaus in the last year. Um, I think they were originally something like $4-ish. Um, but now there's just like essentially no supply so um it's really dependent this is all going to hinge on the first person that bites the bullet and buys whatever the price posted is on tcg when it goes up Mm -hmm. yeah 
Because the thing about the, that market price, right, is it that market price echoes through multiple pricing platforms. Uh, MTG Price uses a, a, a mixed uh, best price that includes data from Amazon and eBay and all of our vendor team vendors. But most of the other sites are just are linked directly to this market price. So as soon as it updates, the price becomes solid. Okay. Good to know. Um, what's next? What do you got for us? Uh, living end foils made another jump in theory from 35 to 90, which would be a $55 jump or 157%. I think I was buying these at 20 last fall. So that's pretty awesome if you can actually get out at that price. Um, but I've been selling them in the 40 to $50 range happily and, and not looking back. And I think that's a pretty good place to be if you happen to have been sitting on some. Yeah, for sure. For sure. If you still have these, sell them. <laughs> I mean, the, the resurgence in the deck interest is due to the additional tools that it's, it's the cycling tools that it's gotten out of Amon Ket. Um, but I suspect that it still is going to hold a tier two, tier 2.5 status in, in modern. Uh, there's not a whole lot of, uh, a lot to suggest in terms of tournament, tournament results yet that this is going to be a tier one deck. Um, and I don't think a ton of people are going to be jumping on the bandwagon. So you know, foils at 20 to 30 were kind of attractive. Foils, if they are actually sell at 90, are going to be tough to make any money on. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's a good setup for later. <laughs> Our next card this week is Temple Bell. We're looking at the foils specifically. It's got a couple printings, but the only foil printing is M11. Uh, we recently saw it in 26, Commander 2016. It was in Commander 2013 as well. Uh, made a jump from about five and change to 18. Um, but although I'm looking at the foil market price and it's still six, so there's not too much action there. And it looks like the cheapest copy is 16 right now. So I think a couple of these got listed today because I looked earlier and there was only the one. Um, but Temple Bell is a popular card in Commander EDH circles. Uh, it's essentially a it's a howling mine that you can use uh, at a little more opportune times that also works with um, some of your other effects, you know, Voltaic keys and things of that nature. Uh, and with only one foil, I suppose it was inevitable that this was eventually going to dry up. So I think 15 is a reasonably safe price point. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, you know, it's a, a group hug type card uh, in EDH. There are plenty of people that are into the group head hug thing uh, over in that format where they try to benefit all the other players at the table and maintain a low profile and, and try to be the last man standing. Um, and th this card just doesn't have any other foil printings is the bottom line. And M11 was, you know, half a decade ago at this point. Yeah. Jeez. Um, okay. What, uh, what is next for us? Uh, Fairy Macabre out of Shadowmoor. Um, the foil's moving from $5 to almost 20. So, uh, more like 18, I guess. So 260% gain or $13. Uh, I'd be hard-pressed, I think, to out many copies at this price. Uh, it's not the kind of spec I would want to be super deep on because when it's played, it's usually a one or a two of. Uh, sometimes main, sometimes sideboard in a variety of different decks in modern and uh, legacy, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is not a really highly played. In fact, this seems like a really odd timing for this because Surgical Extraction and uh, Leyline of the Void have been the effect of you know the more popular of those effects recently so i'm kind of surprised to see fairy macabre doing so well at the moment yeah i mean you see it in in decks like living in death and taxes reanimator and legacy blue red delver and legacy um this is the it's a two two flyer for three but you can discard it from your hand to force your opponent to discard two cards right uh fairy macabre yeah. you know it's it's not they discard two cards, it's they Sorry, exile two cards from their graveyard. Right. Sorry, that's what I meant. Uh, that would be exile. really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Exile two cards from their graveyard. Exactly. Well, that would be sick. On your opponent's first upkeep, I'll exile three framer crab, discard six cards. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this hasn't seen a reprinting since Modern Masters. Um, so, if you pop boxes of that, you might have foils of this lying around in your chaff um, that you didn't think were going to be worth anything. Sure. Sure. But it looks like the MMA foils are sitting in and around like $1.50, $2. So that might be where you want to go looking uh, uh, if the original foils have been driven up this high. Yeah. I mean, even if you pick them up at $1.50 or two, I'm not sure you're ever selling them for much more than five or six. Eh, whatever. I would stay away from this at this point, personally. Yeah. It's not the kind of thing that gets me super excited. But when you see a gap, you know, a $20 yeah. gap between two different versions of the foils, you got to start wondering how deep is the second foil pool. Right, right, right. For sure, for sure. No, I don't doubt 
uh, it's at least worth looking at. Um, next on our list is Satanel. Satanel. Hold on. I, I, I look, I'm going to interrupt you because I looked it up and uh, this is interesting. The other foil pool is two cards. On the MMA one? Oh, well, there you go. First person to listen to the cast gets them. Yeah, they're, I'm going to leave them there for somebody. They're, they're going to be, I think they were left there because they had $3 shipping and everybody hates that. Uh, mm-hmm. When you clear out on TCG, you always leave the $3 shipping guys behind as a punishment uh, <laughs> for them thinking that's reasonable shipping. So the go ahead, snag those at 5 bucks because if there's only two of them left, then they're going to be 20 just like the other one. Yeah, I suppose. Sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll move on. Uh, Sentinel Druid, Satanel. I'm not sure what the... Sentinel. You got it. It is Sentinel. That's what I figured, but you never really know. Yeah, it's not like um, milk or anything. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, Sentinel Druid from Antiquities, uh, obviously non-foil. Jumped from two to like eight, nine, ten. I mean, there's one available seven fifty and two dollars shipping right now on TCG, but it's the only copy. Again, market price hasn't moved. It's just a ancient card that nobody's using. It is it is on the reserve list, interestingly enough. Um, but, you know, whatever, no different than any of the other ones that show up on this list every week. Antiquities and Legends cards continue to be targeted. We've been talking about it for ages. If you're sleeping on that opportunity, that's, you know, because you think you've got something better going on. Um, that's certainly my excuse. Uh, but the the supplies are just getting lower and lower and lower. So uh, I especially feel uh, jealousy for the people that just collected sets like this a while back when only five of the cards in the set mattered and now suddenly have all these like cards they bought for two bucks to fill in the slots in their binder that are now worth 10 to 20 each. <laughs> Must be nice. Yeah. All right. Okay. So next on the list, we got horror of the broken lands out of Amonkhet. This, uh, is that an uncommon or a rare? I forget. That's a common. Is it really? Um, yep. so foil common going to 650 out of a standard set that's just hitting peak supply is pretty impressive. That's on the back of living end usage. So if if living end it has enough of an upswing in demand that it can drive the price of a in print foil common, then maybe I'm wrong. Maybe lots of new people are picking up that deck. Um, but I guess we'll see how it plays out in the tournament scene over the next six months. Well, I will see how it plays out in the next uh, ten minutes. Um, <laughs> so. Our last card for the week is uh, Circle of Protection Black. We talked about Circle of Protection Red last week. This is a foil eighth copies from a dollar to seven dollars. Who cares? Nobody's going to pay for this. Um, I suppose that cube, people who own cubes might want to pay a couple bucks for it, um, but this is just another ultra low supply. Somebody bought four copies and cleared out TCG player. So I, I just um, pulled my cop blue and cop green out of uh, my eighth binder from the super collection the other night and checked them both and they're both over ten dollars too so there's some kind of latent demand for seventh and eighth edition foils that must be driving this between that and cubes um like we talked about last week and uh, i'm gonna post them both and get back to you guys on whether i can actually move them or not i mean i assume that somebody People want these if you have cubes and whatnot because there's so few of them relatively. It's just the number of people who fit that profile is like almost nothing. Well, so, and, and and seventh and eighth foils are, are just foils people are chasing, right? So foil foil collectors focus on those sets uh, specifically. It was a seventh was a white bordered set with black bordered foils, and the foils look great. Um, and there's a bunch of key cards in that set. So that's that's long been kind of like the linchpin of modern foil collection. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's move on to segment two, our cards to watch. Uh, why don't you get us started? So question for our listeners. Do you know off the top of your head, what set released in the last year has an EV almost double all of the rest of the sets released? Do I get to answer? I know you know the answer. <laughs> So oh, yeah, I, well, probably I didn't even know the answer. It's just it's written down on the screen in front of me. <laughs> so I had a bunch of conspiracy take the crown boxes that I bought when Leovold was spiking, um, but I shipped them to the U.S. and I didn't pick them up until recently, so they were just kind of sitting around. And I forgot that I had I had even bought them. I think it was like a case worth. Um, and I looked up the EV to decide whether I was going to crack them one night because I was rolling so uh, so well on the Modern Masters 2017 boxes where I made money. And the uh, Russian standard boxes where I made money. 
that I decided I would go ahead and, and keep rolling until I, I hit a wall. And Conspiracy was not that wall. <laughs> because the expected value on this set, um, on the basis that it was kind of crunched between Eldritch Moon and Kaladesh during the late summer, when a lot of people are out enjoying themselves, uh, and magic is in its usual lull, combined with the fact that people weren't really thrilled with the whole multiplayer draft aspect uh, as more than a once or twice kind of novelty, has led, uh, and the combination of having a bunch of kind of uh, important reprints and really key EDH cards that aren't available anywhere else, has driven the EV of this set up into the uh, low 90s. So like TCG low EV on this, according to MDG stocks, is somewhere around 94 bucks. Um, and boxes are available, are available for 90 over on Dawn Glare, they claim it's more like the mid-70s, but even if you average that out to be in the mid-80s, then at worst, you can expect on average to lose a few bucks, um, which I think you easily make up over time as the key cards in this set continue to climb, because keep in mind, um, inventory on the sealed product is still um, so available that there's actually um, uh, a couple of vendors online that have it on super sale, uh, including, let me read this price out to you. You, you can get a case of this stuff for four fourteen ninety five, and that's six boxes. Okay. So that's $69 a box with an EV of 94. <laughs> Folks, that's as close to printing money as you're going to get in this, this day and age, especially given that most of us are usually telling you that quote unquote sealed MTG finance is dead. Uh, here to tell you that, as, at least as far as Take the Crown is concerned, that is definitely not the case. Um, if you can compare this, if you compare this to something like Amonkhet or Kaladesh, um, where you have both invocations and uh, masterpieces to consider, the EVs of those sets are still in the like forty to fifty dollar range if you're lucky, and you can easily get screwed if you don't open a masterpiece and 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 kind of fail out with a thirty to thirty five dollar box. Um, so you're talking about an EV on these boxes of almost triple what you could expect to get from most standard boxes. And the only thing that's even close that's been released in the last year would be like the Commander 2016 products, especially the Brea, Traxa, and Yidris decks that um, have pretty solid EV, as you guys were talking about on Cartel the other night. Um, but yeah, I, my, my pick of the week is Conspiracy 2 boxes. You can't go wrong. Buy them, hold them, maybe you flip them. Buy them at, at 70, flip them at 120 to 140 down the road. Um, or you could just crack them now, hold the singles, use the ones you want. Um, I pulled a foil expropriate out of one of my boxes. Um, I, I, I pulled a Leovold out of each of the other two. And, and, and this set goes really deep. Like if you haven't looked at it lately, there's a lot of stuff in here. First of all, there's the Kaya ghost assassin alternate art foil that goes for over a hundred bucks. Oh, is um, that that's still going for that much? I remember that from a while ago. It's like one thirty. Um, Leovold is holding pretty steady in the $45 to $50 range. Show and Tell, Sanctum Prelate, Berserk, Recruiter of the Guard, Doretti Ingenious Iconoclast, Expropriate, and Selvala, Heart of the Wilds, as well as Kaya Ghost Assassin are all over $10. Um, and that's a mixture of rares and mythics. And then in the uh, uh, in uncommon and rare slots, you've got Inquisition of Kozilek, Birds of Paradise, Platinum Angel, Queen Marquesa is a mythic, uh, so is Platinum actually. Uh, Phyrexian Arena, Burgeoning, Serum Visions, uh, Ghostly Prison is a $2 uncommon in the set. Stunt Double is a pretty good clone. Um, uh, Avatar of Woe, Selvala Stampede, I pulled a foil of that, it's worth like $20. Bucks. Um, mm. Horn of Greed, Desertion, uh, Exotic was Orchard. That, was that Earthquake too? Did you say the Earthquake one yet? Uh, that one is Subterranean Tremors. Yeah, the foils of that go for some solid coin too. The non-foils, but two bucks. Uh, the bottom line here is that you know there's no guarantees. You can you can get rooked on these boxes. People have told me they have been. Um, I know somebody who opened a whole case and didn't get a whole a single Leovold. But on average, this is your best bet. And a lot of the cards in the set are not going to get reprinted anytime soon and are key pieces in EDH. Like Selvala, Heart of the Wilds, Expropriate, um, and uh, Leovold. Actually, Leovold's Bandit Commander now, but he's st still important in Legacy. Um, the, you've got Show and Tell for Legacy, Sanctum Prelate, and Recruiter of the Guard, all important Legacy cards. Um, there's a bunch of cube stuff in here. It's just the set has value. It's very solid value. And if you get lucky and open, you know, the Ghost Assassin or a Foil Leovold or something, then you're flying. Okay. 
So that's uh, definitely a good choice for those who want to put in a little bit of work, want to do some sales. Seems like there's some good money to be made. And if you open one box and get really lucky, you just count your blessings and don't look back. <laughs> so, so here's one of the other tips I have about anybody who's been stockpiling sealed and is lamenting the fact, like say you've got a case of like something like uh, Return to Ravnica and you were thinking like, oh, Shocklands, they're going to go through the roof eventually. Like I'm going to make so much money and you bought them for whatever, 85 or 90 bucks a box. And you've, they've been sitting in your closet forever and you're just like, there's no way to ship these things without losing cash. Here's what you do. Offer in a Facebook group or a local play group or at your local store to trade the box for a card you need or that you can easily sell that's significantly more liquid. You might even offer a premium since you know that the shipping of whatever single card you trade into is going to be you know, a stamp if you want it to be versus the 10 or 15 bucks it might, it might cost you to ship the, the booster box. Um, and in doing so, you can take advantage of any, you know, appreciation you might have. Like my, my Russian KTK boxes have gone from like $85 to like 190. Um, uh, or if you're, if the sealed product you're holding onto is stalled, at least you can trade into something that's more liquid and, or costs you less to, to ship. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. You know, somebody out there, if you when you can trade sealed product for one or two cards or even a couple of cards, um, that's really useful for you because you get to cut down on so much work and time and effort that would be involved with selling all the stuff out of that box. Um, and especially if you're a smaller vendor, it can be when I say vendor, but a, you know just a single individual operating out of their um, their bedroom, it can be difficult to sort of monopolize on those three dollar. Uh, you know, uncommons like ghostly prison, but if you can kind of roll them up in the value of the EV of the box and trade them away, that's uh, really does a lot for you. Yep. All right. What, what's your next pick? Uh, well, my next pick is uh, amusing given some of the comments that we had earlier in our segment to, in our uh, segment one. Um, it is monstrous carabid, which is the living end, one of the living end cyclers, uh, the foils specifically from the uh, Alara block. Uh, you can currently find these right around $2 uh, on TCG Player. There are a couple other copies floating around on the internet right around that price. Um, I'm going to ask you real quick, James, have you looked at the price of Architect of Will lately? Yeah, I know, I know that it spiked. It was something like 10 bucks or something like that for the foils? It is 15 on TCG Player right now. Okay. okay. Uh, and this was like a dollar and change not that long ago. Um, then the resurgence in Living End, um, at least the resurgence in interest in the state and the format or in the archetype, has pushed the foils on several of these because both Architects of Will and Monstrous Carabit only have one foil printing. And even though they were common, it was quite a long time ago. Now you had the Shards of Alar the Alara Block foil packs as well, which added a little bit of inventory to the market, which probably delayed this more than anything um, because they probably should have popped the last time Living End got really popular. But where we are right now is that you have these cards. Um, Living End is mostly a deck made up of uh, essentially... Uh, garbage. I mean, you have Living End, and then you have all of the Cascade cards, which are commons or uncommons, and all of the Cyclers, which are commons and uncommons, uh, and then your Mana Base, right? Um, and maybe Fulminator Mages. So it's actually a really cheap deck, easy to build. So far, most of the commons and uncommons have been cheap to foil, but I think we're starting to see them move. With Monstrous Carabids available right around $2, and Architects Will at 15 this is my guess for the next one to uh, to kind of tip. Um, and even if they don't hit 15 if you're selling them like 8 or 9 you which is a completely reasonable price for an old foil common, uh, you still did pretty good on that. Yeah, I see you've got your copies posted on TCG at $9.99, and you're not in any rush. To, you, you, you're, in fact, the highest price person on TCG. So I'm, assu I'm assuming you're pricing in what you think is about to happen. Yes. Yeah, I got a couple copies. Um, I had bought, like, I think two play sets. And I was like, you know what? I'm, not, I'm just going to list these at the price I would like to sell them. And then that way, when people buy out all the copies beneath me, someone will rush and go, oh, I have to buy more copies before they keep going up or whatever. And they'll buy mine at 10. And I don't care where they end up at uh, because I will have gotten out at a num number I'm happy with. So uh, not, not expecting that to happen like tomorrow or anything like that. Um, but that's my general strategy there. Yeah, I mean, this thing, This seems rock solid. It's a four of in the main deck in most builds. Um, the deck uh, is slightly better now that it has the Amonkhet cards. The, there is a, a, a resurgence in interest, uh, which is not easy to measure, but we know uh, is peaking a little bit. Um, and there's just no copies of this card left. So, 
Cool. Not in foil right. anyway. And and it <laughs> yeah. and it dodged the reprint of some of the other cycling cards in Modern Masters 2015, and there were none in 2017. So the earliest likely reprinting would be in 2019, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a ways away. Um, and I don't know if you have been paying attention to Ari Lax or anything like that, but um, he's been taking a couple whacks at this deck. A couple of people have, really. And uh, of the various builds, Jund seems like the front runner for a way to shift the deck, which this is at, at home in. So uh, I think I think it's a rosy outlook for Carabids here. Uh, I should point out that the vendor team members that are that have this card listed on MTG price um, have better pricing than on TCG. So if you want to really go hard at it, that's where I would be poking around. Oh, geez. Just go look. <laughs> uh, what do you got next for us? Uh, all right. So the other card that I've been buying up a little bit um, tentatively is foil copies of As Foretold. Um, This is, of course, the super hyped and then maligned and then hyped and then maligned uh, Mythic Rare out of Amonkhet, the enchantment for two and a blue um, that lets you cast spells once per turn, whether it's your turn or your opponent's turn, um, based on the number of counters that are on the card, and it gets a counter every upkeep. So on zero, it lets you cast uh, suspend cards for free, um, which is the first uh, major benefit, and puts cards like Ancestral Vision and uh, Restore Balance and Wheel of Fate into play in Modern from a whole new angle. Um, it's it's People have told me they're, they're dubious about it showing up in EDH, but I don't really get it because in Atraxa, this gets two counters a turn and lets you cast a spell on each player's turn in the game, which seems like one of the more busted mana rocks you could have in play. Um, and, you know, I think that it's already showing up in these fringe decks in modern and if it gets additional pieces of the puzzle over time this card just has the potential to get better and better if it was a rare i'd be much less interested but as a mythic there's something like less than 40 listings even heading into peak supply for amonkhet um for the foils and very few of them now are in and around the 18 to 21 dollar range and past that you've got people predicting that this is worth more that are posting it at 25 plus so i think that if you get in in say at the 18 dollar level um and your exit is 30 dollar plus and wait and see what happens and and kind of take a read of how successful the card is um before you decide to go much deeper you could go in a playset at a time uh, heading into the summer maybe pick some up on a summer sale or i think the last second to last ebay 15 dollars off 75 coupon i picked up four copies at 18 a piece and that was just about dead on perfect um to get them for uh like 325 off a copy so more like five but 15 each um and it's just the kind of card i know i'm going to want to have 20 copies sitting around for its inevitable spike whether it's this year or five years from now yeah, it's it's uh, you know we talked about this earlier with um, with Dustwatch Recruiter. I even mentioned as we're told, it's it's such a good a good card from that. Like I don't know if it's perfect today, and I don't know if it's going to be busted tomorrow, but I know that it's powerful and unique. And if you need it, it's the only one available. And twenty bucks is not bad at all for a foil mythic of that power level of that uniqueness. And I mean, there's obviously some expectation built into a foil multiplier like that because the non-foils are closer to like $5. So that's a four times multiplier. So um, in a case where the multi- the foil has already taken off, um, you might want to look at regular copies. I mean, you can pick up this Mythic right now for about five bucks and it's been draining. It was at, it was at 15, it was at 10, it was at eight, it held eight for a bit. And now, you know, six, seven, six, five, you know, is it going to get down to three or $4? Because if it does... Um, I'm going to be looking at non-foils as well. Okay. Okay. I think uh, I think that's not a bad idea at all. I, uh, all right. I should pick up some of those because I like that card. What's your next pick? <laughs> uh, my other pick this week is Aloro, Ageless Ascetic, um, the uh, commander from 2013 from commander the commander from Commander 2013. Uh, he is very highly played. Uh, if you go look at EDH Rec, he is the uh, fourth most played commander of all time. Um, again, EDH Rec is only one data point, but it's still compelling. Uh, if you look at other sources that compile this sort of data, he's uh, he's pretty high over there as well. Um, definitely top five. And you can pick up copies for uh, for like two fifty, right around there. Um, the only other printing is a, a judge foil from, I believe, last year, but uh, it's, it can be difficult to pin the times of those down. Um, 
Let me rephrase. I can't. Uh, it is not difficult. I just have to look it up on Wikipedia. And oh, I know. I know. I know what it is. It's it's 2014. Judge Foils. Is it, it was, that? Wait, 2014? Yep. It's that old? Yeah, it's from the set that also had Rico of Two Reflections, Hannah Ship's Navigator, Nekosar, Elish Norn, Grand Cenobite, Sword of Feast and Famine, Greater Good, and Force of Will. So yeah, that's wow. a little, that's a ways back. So, you know, we were talking about this before the cast, about whether the Judge Foils were also a target. I think they definitely are a target. Yes. Yeah, I think that non-foil, I think every copy of this card, other than the oversized promo, is a great target right now. Uh, Trax is over twenty dollars. Brea's thirteen or fourteen. Marin is well over ten, and Alorho's like two dollars, and he's played just as much as the rest of them. So I think uh, I think there's definitely play to be had on Aloro here. And and keep in mind that we've already seen that specs we've called out and gone after from Atraxa to Alicia who smiles at death to Brea to Yidris are all showing that um, after they were targeted they could hold new plateaus. Um, I've been selling Breas that I purchased just a month ago for $4 for 12 a, a few times already this week. So um, there's no reason to hold back on this stuff. EDH is a huge uh, uh, sector of growth in, in Magic. It might be the only format that's growing currently um, uh, or that at least can grow sales because EDH players buy uh, are willing to buy more and more decks um, and to move in and out of decks more frequently. Um, and all of that adds up to any great commander like this that's been left on the shelf too long. Looks like a very sexy target. Okay. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's a good choice. Obviously, I think it's a good choice. I'm the one that recommended it. Why don't you finish off this week, James? So my final pick of the week is Masterpiece Ornithopter, uh, a card that I remember you making fun of um, when it was announced. Uh, and, no, no, I didn't and, make fun of it. I said before the before the inventions were announced, I was like, they better do Ornithopter because it is the perfect, like, not extremely valuable, just dinky little invention, but still cool and maintain some appeal as opposed to like a Siobhan Gorge or whatever that like literally nobody needs. Okay, I take it back. I, I remember multiple other people making fun of there uh, you go. There you go. Uh, the the funny thing is that uh, it's still a four of in Affinity and and uh, has some amount of iconic value as just a famous magic card. And uh, it, when it's played, it's usually played as a four of. And there are the thing is that the inventions from uh, Ed Revolt are not equivalent to the inventions from Kaladesh. I think if that if Ornithopter had been in Kaladesh, it would have set, settled in the twenty to thirty dollar range for a lot longer because there was just way more of that product opened. But uh, if you look at the stats of that guy, I've, I, I got to post the link for everybody to look at again. But there, there's a guy who's been compiling total number of cards available per set um, and rarity over on Magic Card Market, which is like the TCG equivalent in Europe. And what his stats suggest is that the Ether Revolt cards, um, there's a lot less of them, which makes sense. We know that small sets that follow large fall sets uh, are typically a good place to invest. So like, for instance, um, Fatal Push being an Ether Revolt instead of Kaladesh makes a difference and contributes to why that card is so expensive. Um, and the so when you're looking at masterpieces to invest in, I would pay special attention to the Ether Revolt uh, cards because they have a... I, just a generally lower supply. So they're going to pop faster. They're going to pop harder. Um, and again, you can't crack boxes or cases of these products looking for these cards because it's, there's just no reliability that you're going to find the one you're looking for. And as a re and it's not like you can redeem them from Magic Online, so there's no threat there. Um, and as a result of all of that, uh, you know, we're seeing tremendous growth in the masterpieces, the key masterpieces, the top 10 or 15 of them, um, the top 10 especially, uh, much sooner uh, and to a greater degree than we ever saw with expeditions out of Battle for Zendikar block. That's some really impressive growth. Um, and I, I am a big fan of this. I kind of laughed earlier when you said uh, it's usually played as a four of. And I'm like, have I ever seen any deck play Ornithopter and not have it before? Um, I was thinking about it for a second. I don't think so. I mean, it's especially, you know, with Affinity being basically already all inventioned, like there's so much of it is inventioned that you can do so much of the deck. Uh, it just seems like a really easy a really easy target. It's so cheap. It's definitely one of the most playable, one of the few that you'll see played as a playset. 60 bucks is a pretty good price on this guy. 
Yeah, I think it goes from 60 to 90 for a 50% gain sometime in the next 18 months. Uh, there's just not a lot of, of supply left in the marketplace, and they tend to get bought up in fours, right? The, the other thing here is that in Frontier, um, there is like a quasi-affinity build based on the Scissors card. What's that uh, in Soul Artifact, the one that turns an artifact into a 5-5? Five, five? Um, and now we have the one blue-black one from Ether Revolt that also does the same kind of thing. Um, and we also have Shrapnel Blast, if I'm not mistaken, uh, available. Is that, is that correct, or am I crazy? Sh- Shrapnel Blast in what? That is available in promo, I think, if that's what you're asking. No, I'm asking if it's been printed recently. Oh, uh, I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, it's in Magic 2015. So the because of that, if there's a postmodern format, um, there is likely to be an Ensoul Artifact Shrapnel Blast type deck, and Ornithopter will be played. Because it was in Kaladesh. Um, so that means that even if modern as a format was to fade, whatever it w- w- would replace it, would that Ornithopter would, would be like a cockroach after a nuclear holocaust. It would still be alive and kicking. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it's a good choice as well. I'm kind of looking at them right now, actually. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the metagame we can review. And um, we had two big standard tournaments, uh, GPs, one in Amsterdam and one in Omaha. Um, first, we should probably give major props to uh, Captain Brad Nelson uh, of the Kicking Ass Brigade, who, just as I was starting to think his star was fading a little in Magic, went ahead and won the SEG Modern Open in Baltimore with uh, Grixis Death Shadow, and then followed up the next week by winning GP Omaha with Teamer Marvel. <laughs> In a completely different format. Yeah, I will say that that is a, an impressive feat, at least. Yeah, I mean, there was there was 900 players at the Modern event and 832 at GP Omaha. Um, so not insignificant tournaments. Uh, so big props to Brad Nelson for continuing to be one of the best constructed players in the game. Um, yeah, good for him. Uh, so it looked like Pummler had a pretty good weekend. Um, we saw him take, uh, place in Amsterdam. Um, and it doesn't look like, I seem to recall, it doesn't, it's not that much in the top 16s between the two formats, but I seem to recall seeing it show up other places as well. Uh, there's an, another one in the top 16 of Omaha, it looks like. Um, so it kind of came out of the woodwork a little bit. We might see it, uh, is, I don't think there's, is there a GP this week? I don't remember. At the very least, you might see some of these pop up in Vegas. But I don't know if there's anywhere to really make money on this. It seems like it's one of these kind of like pops up for a weekend, then fades away, then pops up for a weekend and fades away. Um, Honestly, I'm not, not even think I'm not even thinking about standard specs until the fall. If right. I'm being if I'm being honest, like some money is going to be made here, but I just don't care. The, the other opportunities that are available in MTG Finance right now are just so much better than the risk you're taking on trying to guess which way standards heading, and specifically the risk uh, based on you know popularity, right? Like GP Amsterdam had 1167 players, Omaha Omaha had less than 900. That's significantly less than the modern tournaments that were overseas recently. Um, which suggests that standard is just being underplayed in general. And I'm hearing from all sorts of store and owners that they're having trouble getting FNM to follow, follow even now. Uh, fire, sorry, not follow. Um, and it's interesting because coming out of Amsterdam, whose results landed, of course, before Omaha's, um, people were really excited because there was only one team or Marvel in the top eight. Um, most of the top eight was Black Green Delirium builds built around uh, Whiny Constrictor. Um but if you look at the top 16, you have a whole bunch of good players that were on Team Marvel that just missed top eight. Um, and once we got over to Omaha, of course, we had one, two, three, four, five, six of the top eight were using Teamer Energy or Teamer Marvel. Um, the Teamer Energy build was the kind of like the Marvel Marvel-less um, mid-range build um, that was running Glorybringer at, at its top end instead of um, having artifact targets. Um, but that's still five of the top eight on Team or Marvel, and then there was more in the top 16 of that tournament as well. So I don't think anybody can debate that Team or Marvel is the deck to to beat. And the fact that the uh, black-green decks feel the need to run four Dissenters Deliverance in the main, that's the card that cycles for one green that lets you kill an artifact for uh, one and a green. I mean, you know your format is warping around an artifact when that's run as a four of main. When there's other decks, they might run up against like zombies that don't have any targets. Well, and that's the value of the cycle, right? You get to 
if you play against zombies, you just cycle it. Um, yeah, man, Amsterdam is brutal. It's got, uh, what is that, five uh, marvels in the top, in the ninth through 16th. And I guess they only have one in the top eight. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's uh, the question that keeps coming up is, are they going to get rid of Marvel? And the, the question from like a gameplay health perspective is absolutely. But from a business perspective, I think the answer is no. Um, so I agree with you. You just stay the hell away from Saturn for the time being and you just kind of keep an eye out for which cards look like they could matter come October. It's not like the format's totally solved. It actually looks like there's a fair degree of innovation still possible. Like, look at the third place deck from Amsterdam, Esper Vehicles. This thing's running two Archangel Avison, two Eldrazi Skyspawner, four Glorybound Initiate. There's that card again. Uh, saw it showing up in uh, an Esper Brew in Modern last week uh, in the top eight of a tournament. Yeah, that uh, wild deck. <laughs> four Scrap Heap Scrounger, four Spell Queller, four Thraben Inspector, four Toolcraft Exemplar, two Metallic Rebuke, two Cast Out, four Gideon, and four Heart of Kieran. I mean, talking about taking the most busted cards in the format and just jamming them together. Yeah, that is certainly a deck. Uh, I mean, it's funny, right? It, it, this, this deck takes elements of blue-red control from the counterspell angle. It takes elements of Mardu vehicles from the, the perspective of using Gideon, Heart of Kirin, Thraben Inspector, and Toolcraft Exemplar. But then it's got some of the like like white-blue um, aggro control elements in the form of Spell Queller uh, and Glorybound Initiate. So... Very very interesting deck. If I if I was of a mind to play standard this week, I think this is the brew I would try to take to FNM. <laughs> it's definitely something else. Uh, you know, when I look at this, it's it's hard to be too excited financially. You know, which is what what I always evaluate these as, just because it's got the four Gideons, which is so like, oh well, of course the deck did well. It has Gideons. You know, they just all have Gideons in them. So keep that in mind when you're trying to figure out if this deck, if decks right now are setting up success in the fall like is getting a part of the strategy because if it might if it is it's possible that the rest of the cards just don't matter without him at the core but you're right about glory bond initiate we have seen it more than once now i uh, i'm usually pretty reluctant to spec on standard rares especially if they're not artifacts um and i know you're that's not what you were encouraging but you know i, I notice it uh, i guess we'll just have to I don't know. Maybe if you can pick them up for like 30 or 40 cents over the summer, but I don't think they're going to get that cheap anyways. Well, if, if, if we believe the only way I think this is a spec is if it is a real card in modern. Um, and if it's a real card in modern, then the foil rares being available for less than four bucks might be appealing. Um, but I, again, there are better options. <laughs> so I'm not going to go deep on this card, hoping it's going to work out. I'm going to look for it to put up more results, but I will say this, this is a rare in Amonkhet. Uh, whereas as foretold is a mythic and there are actually an equivalent amount of foils uh, of as foretold as there are of glory band initiate so somebody's already been buying foils hmm interesting um okay well do you have anything else you want to say about these uh, gps here um i don't care about standard i don't think it's where you should be trying to make money right now uh make money elsewhere and then buy whatever standard deck you want yeah that's a pretty good way to do it um, okay, so let's hit on the topic of the week here. Uh, they basically announced a magic MMO made by the guys who did Star Trek Online and something else that I forget at the moment. Well, mo most importantly, Cryptic Studios did Neverwinter, which was... Cryptic Studios, that's who it is. Yeah, Cryptic Studios did Neverwinter, which is the MMO that that's kind of um, like in the same vein as World of Warcraft, but using a lot of the set it, set pieces and mechanics from the like ancient uh, Neverwinter uh, single-player RPG that was like a, like a huge hit on PC like 10, 15 years ago, something like that. I remember playing it in college, so it's been quite some time. Um, and I, my buddy was, was playing Paragon with me for a while and then switched over to Neverwinter and asked me to come play with him. And I did for a while. And that was the first time I touched an MMO in like at least five years. I think I played Guild Wars or something was the last one. And it was solid. And, and I liked, you know, it was cool to revisit that Neverwinter setting like a decade plus later. But not, it didn't feel like it was breaking any new ground. So, I mean, I think, like, my main concern here and in, in something that people have been pointing out all over social media is, you know, this would have been a really cool idea 10 years ago when MMOs kind of defined the video game landscape. But 
the video gaming industry as a whole seems to have kind of moved on from this particular motif. And um, there's so many different ways that this can go wrong. I definitely don't love it. The idea of this at all. Um, I mean, just MMOs are just not where people are these days. And that's not to say that they'll, the genre will never see a resurgence, but you know, I feel like we, as a, industry sort of walked away from that a little bit a while ago we're clearly in a mo the throes of moba and i'm tempted to say ccgs digital ccgs as well but that could just be the bubble that i live in um you know that's not to say they'll never come back but right now and you know what what strikes me is i really enjoy the magic flavor on the cards and i'm always curious about the characters in the story um you know i don't read every like story that gets printed, but I'm always kind of curious to know what has happened uh, and how things have progressed. But I read about like a magic, uh, you know, they announced magic MMO and I'm like, I, I don't care about the flavor of this game whatsoever. Like playing, running around in the magic world and like playing as characters and meeting NPCs and whatever, like just holds zero appeal for me. Um, I assume it's just me being cranky, but I, I don't know. I just really noticed in myself how little I care for this as a setting. So, I have to assume the way that this is going to play out is that you will have guilds that are color-based, but you'll just be a wizard. And yeah. and at some super high level of the game, towards the end of it, when you unlock bonus content, you, be you your spark ignites and you become a planeswalker. Cause yeah, yeah. We, we were talking about this earlier. We can't all be walk running around as planeswalkers from the get-go. That just makes no sense. I mean, I could see them have your spark ignite like at the end of the intro tutorial, but you know, post mending planeswalkers are very weak. And I mean, if you look at back at the older stories, now not old, old, but like, I guess if you look at like Jason Chandra and those guys, they can barely at the start of their character arcs, they can barely change planes on demand. Um, and it takes a lot out of them. So it doesn't seem like a, a new planeswalker doesn't seem that powerful uh, to me. Well, I mean, here's the thing. World of Warcraft subscriptions peaked in and around 2010, 2011 at almost 13 million a year and have since fall, been on a steady decline. And even with the recent spike with their kind of like uh, resurgence in two, 2015 or so, um, still haven't broken 10 million and have recently fallen down towards 7.5 million. So, it, and that's kind of the banner, the that's the magic, the gathering of the MMO world, right? Is World of Warcraft. Um, now you can also argue, it's worth at least uh, considering taking a look at what's happened with Destiny, because arguably Destiny is Call of Duty meets MMO. Um, it certainly uh, is a first person shooter with MMO elements. And, um, you know, has been very popular and has done well. But the amount of money that Bungie put into that, and keep in mind, this was the, the legacy of Halo and the amount of investment that followed on from the Halo series that led to that game, um, is not the kind of money that's being targeted <laughs> at, at this project. Um, and I suspect we're going to get a mediocre game. Um, I have a mediocre game that doesn't have super compelling mechanics and or lore is not going to pull a bunch of new players into paper magic um it's because this isn't even a mobile based game this is a pc and platform based game uh the number of like younger players in the early teens that are going to be compelled to try it out and stick with it is going to be relatively low uh, unless the game gets ridiculous reviews. And I suspect that this kind of game that's going to come in, in a, with a 6 to 7 rating on IGN and be quickly forgotten and kind of mothballed within six months. Uh, that sounds like a pretty reasonable expectation. It just, who who is your target audience and why is it an MMO? Like, I, I think I know who your target audience is, but why are you aiming for them with an MMO? It just doesn't seem like it's going to land. I don't know. I'm not a video game business analyst. It's hard for me to say for sure. But well, I mean, as somebody who's in, as somebody who's been a fan of Magic for a long time, this does absolutely nothing for me. Like, I'll try it. I'll play it. But if it's not, like, one of the best games out at that point, I'm going to put it down really fast. And it's not going to renew my... As an existing player, I'm not even going to consider it within the matrix of decisions I make around magic as a paper and, and online play brand. 
Um, I'm much more concerned with what happens with MT, uh, Magic Digital next. But I will say that there are there are ways this could go right. If the game is particularly good and they build in a really cool mechanic where inside taverns you can sit down and play Paper Magic the same way as in Witcher 3 you could play Gwent. And that Paper Magic is basically a portal looking in on Magic Digital Next and and is essentially the same interface and provides digital codes that you can then use to download the full version of that game. Well, now you've got my attention. Like this, th- this could become a successful marketing strategy if the game is good enough that it lasts for a while. I mean, WoW has been around since 2005. Um, do we, any of us believe that this game is going to last more than a year or two before the masses forget it? Has has any magic game before Sh- since Chandelar in the in the late nineties um, caught fire for more than a few months? I mean, Duels of the Planeswalker was their biggest success, and that was essentially just a modernized version of Magic Online that had you know limited fun- deck functionality and collectability. Um, so you know that's one way that this could go well. Um, the other thing that I would have like backed up the truck and considered was if they made a really, really good like 8-bit video game, like NES or Super NES, which is like a 16-bit um, magic video game that was in like an old like Castlevania type style or something, um, and released it through an indie publisher, that might have had a, a much bigger impact than you know this kind of game might. Um, it would require a smaller budget and might be more viral. But you would I... have to get some you know, really interesting mechanics going. I really agree with you there uh, that this could be much cooler in virtually every other genre of game. Kart racer. Give me magic kart racer. <laughs> um, but you, did you ever play duck game? No. That See, that was by Adult Swim. And it's a like 16-bit um four player mayhem sh- like arena shooter that's phenomenal it is fantastic for four guys four people hanging around on a couch want to goof around ultra fast tight fun um wacky great time but like something like that um it doesn't have to be that exact that exact game but just something other than an mmo that like would be fun and enjoyable and people could jump into um would do so much more i feel like to to stand out from the crowd than just uh you know just another generic mmo of which there are millions everyone forgets um well i mean have you ever played final fantasy tactics uh no but i'm aware of it it's basically the same thing as like um uh wait wait there's adventure wars and fire emblem it's all the same thing right yeah, it's like it, it's a tactical RPG where you're you're every level is you your your team versus an, an enemy team on a three dimensional chessboard, and the abilities interact with the physical environment. And the game is an ultra classic, and uh, updating it with magic characters would make way more sense than, uh, and I think would uh, showcase the mechanics of magic much better than an MMO. The problem with the MMO is like you're you're. It's a very technical platform of play. It doesn't really show off, if you're using the kind of standard known mechanics of MMOs, um, the lore and and wonder of the Magic Universe, which for a lot of people is just going to read like the same old swords and sorcery crap that's been fed to people since the 70s, right? Like, um, if you're going to go, and and I suspect that they're not going to like set it in something like Kaladesh or Ixalan, like one of the modern settings that are relatively unique. Um, if they do all the power to them, I mean, those decisions probably haven't even been made yet. So give them some breathing space on that, I guess. But I, I don't know. We've just seen, again, I say the same thing I've been saying forever, that Hasbro is not a digital company by DNA. They are leaning on a company here. That's a mid tier developer that has put out some solid, but not amazing games. Um, and some of them have not, have been, you know, maligned actually. I, I think they were involved with the Star Trek project that was not well received, um, and also how long is this going to take? Like this announcement came down this week with no other details. That means probably at least two to three years to get this to market. I mean, oh, the, I would think bare minimum The the texture of where magic is at by that point could be completely different. I mean, you, you could be in a situation where if magic digital next takes off and goes huge, then a transition from paper to digital could already be underway. If magic digital next kind of fails or magic stays stagnant and or flat, we could be in a period of long stagnation for the game. So, 
you know, there's there's a lot that could happen between now and then. Um, I suspect we're not going to get any like juicy tidbits for at least 12 to 18 months. Uh, I wish them all the best. I hope it turns out amazing. It's better for everyone involved if it does. Um, but I would hate to see them invest as much money and time and effort as is this is go- as is going to be required for this project, and then just have it kind of come out of the board the gate stillborn and you know be yet another digital project that goes nowhere. Yeah, especially because uh, it's going to come out, it's going to suck, and they'll have wasted how many millions of dollars on it that could have been used to do anything else, like give people reasonable prizes on the Pro Tour to compete with every other video game in the universe. Uh, Hasbro doesn't have infinite money, and every dollar they sink into this MMO is money that's not going elsewhere. True that. All right, so I think that's pretty much a wrap for this week, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I thought this was a good show. Some great picks this week, too. Um, Okay, so where can our listeners find you? Uh, You guys can find me on MTG Price every week with my weekly articles, as well as on MTG Critic on the internet. Um, What about you, Travis? I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday for MTG Price. I do the Cartel Aristocrats webcast, usually Monday afternoons. Uh, and if you like playing magic, check out Scry.land. I also posted a free article today for everybody, uh, five ways to juice your uh, returns in MTG Finance. So you may want to check that out over on mtgprice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG Finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right, that brings us to the end of episode 71. I thought we had a great week. Uh, Thanks for joining me, James. I'll see you next week. Thanks, Travis. We'll see you guys all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.